Welcome to the Business of Art podcast. My guest today is a very special guest. I've known him for uh, several years now. Um, his name is Conrad Cavallo, and he's currently uh, mainly working on uh, on an art prize for emerging artists. Um, and um, Conrad, welcome. <laughs> and um, as usual, I'm going to start by asking some questions just about uh, various things in your life, like starting with What's your favourite city and why? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, uh, thanks for inviting me on, uh, David. Um, yeah, that, very difficult question. I've, I have been to quite a lot of cities uh, in my time. I guess for, first I should stress I'm I'm very much a city person. Um, but that's also made this question, I guess, it makes it a bit hard. But uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say London. I was, I was born and brought up in, in North London. Uh and lived in various parts, and I've I've gotten to I've, I've gotten to know all its sort of idiosyncrasies, and uh, you know the bit there's the bits that tourists know, know and there's the bits that you know if you you've lived here and you've built up uh, a network of, of of close friends, family, and everything, you get to know you you get to know how to um, well more than survive, but enjoy it, um, but also. Because it has everything, pretty much. It's there is a bit of a there's comfort in having the option, and maybe I don't I don't do anywhere near as much as I could be, um, and you know, uh, and fill out my time, you know, seeing all the different things. But I mean, I, I kind of want to say really that I did have this dream of living between uh, London, Barcelona, and Buenos Aires, ah. so almost following the sun. Because um, I think. <laughs> I think everyone knows that London, London's kind of dampened and cold at times in, in, in aut- uh, aut- late autumn, winter, uh, and it'll be nice. It's, it's kind of nice to get out of that as much as possible and and enjoy these other cities. And uh, you know, why I've added sort of why I've been a bit difficult with you, with the answer for this is, you know, I like I like a bit of variety, but I still my my life is still centered around London um, and Buenos Aires and. Uh, you know, you have your summer in the winter time, and Barcelona, you have you know fantastic summer, but maybe it's a bit too hot. Uh, but then London's London's pretty can be pretty amazing in summertime. So you can sort of follow the comfortable sun uh, <laughs> by living between those places. Um, yeah, so it's 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 that London, of course, has everything from all over the world. Uh, Barcelona just has a, a you know very different energy, very different style and and feel and aesthetic to london um you know we've got kind of the uh peculiar gaudi architecture and and style uh and then just the sort of the layout of the city uh, and it's brilliant that the airport's in the city <laughs> um it's not too far away. it's you know it can make it it makes it a very easy place to uh to go to and i i read a story about someone commuting you know they go every day into into barcelona and back just because it was because of that sort of configuration of the the airport, um, not something I could I could do, but mm. um, it's it's an option as well. And in Buenos Aires, it's just so far away, um, and it's it, you know it's still got it's, it's you know the Spanish language as well. So there are similarities with, with Barcelona, but mm. but also quite striking differences. It has a different energy, um, a very a, a, a different aesthetic. Um, as well and it's it's latin america but it's european 
kind of thing as well. So a bit more so. So that's so, so it's it's not too different to what I'm I'm used to. I've um, been to Buenos Aires. I've been to Barcelona, and and, and you know know the culture there quite well. Uh, but Buenos Aires is that what does anything strike you culturally? I mean, it sounds as though you're going to these places mainly for the weather uh, and the Gaudi yeah. architecture in Barcelona. But what about Buenos Aires? Could you could you could you tell us something about anything striking there artistically or architecturally? Yeah. So um, I mean, apart, apart from the food, it's got amazing steak and red wine, um, and um, one of my favorites is is Mosbia with steak. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a, a black pudding, a blood uh, a blood sausage, which <laughs> which I don't know just, just goes so well. And then there's um, uh, chimichurri, the chimichurri, chimichurri uh, sauce. But um, but really, what first got me to to Buenos Aires many years ago was was tango and tango music. Oh wow! Um, so I love I love that, and I love. Uh, you know, when I went there, one of the first things I I went to was a uh, a milonga, uh, which is quite an interesting sort of construct. It's at times it served as a way to meet uh, to meet um, you know meet women and date, and you kind of the dating process is a little bit like you dance with someone just for a, few, a song. I think it's one or two songs, and then. And then you have to step away and come back and maybe invite them later. Uh, and, you know, how you connect with that person through dance, you know, the respect you show and the connection you you can build. Um, and, you know, the, the music and the passion of the romantic atmosphere is sort of very conducive for finding a romantic connection. Uh, so it's quite, I'm quite fascinated by that, um, that, whole, that whole process. But the music uh, and the dance itself, was particularly interesting, and I think one thing, um, some of the music like Astor, Astor Piazzolla, uh, somehow just got connected to it, and and you know the Spanish singing, uh, and that was a sort of the starting point for that. Do you still listen to that music when you're in London? Um, I I used to I used to I used to try out some tango lessons in in London, um, and it was quite fascinating you watch it on tv and you see this kind of you know if you strictly dancing whatever you see this very strict uh set of moves mm-hmm. but the malonga and the the lessons i did was more about sort of how you take certain moves and then connect them together how you want and make it your own a bit or how you connect to the music a bit more creative yeah but yeah much more creative oh, and I didn't realise you danced, Conrad. I've never seen in a situation where we might have been dancing. So that's yeah. No, I'm I'm all stiff. <laughs> I'm all stiff now, but it's it's been a while. But the um, yeah, I just I just found it's quite it's quite a fascinating thing to, do you, to learn. Do you see that sort of dance culture as as an art? You know, in the way that we tend to highlight and privilege paintings and fine arts in the London perspective, maybe above things like dance. We tend to see things like Strictly as rather popular, and, you know, maybe even low culture, Radio 2-ish, uh, if people were really <laughs> yeah. But do you see it as actually much more significant than maybe many people might? Yeah. I mean, there's two things. One thing, I've, I went to see a flamenco show, and it is, uh, you know, when I think of art, I think of, um, I think of how you're connecting with the viewer, and it's, it's not... Um, it's not an enclosed thing between you and 
met yourself or maybe one other person, but it's how, uh, it's what you're trying to say and what you're trying to portray to other people. But, but then for me, tango, tango is a little bit like that, but for me, it's much more that, uh, that interaction with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that tango used to, tango started off, I think, as more for dance between between uh, men in in the brothels as a, while they were waiting for their, for their <laughs> uh, for their appointments, um, and and then it became or, or it's, well, it still is maybe a mixture of the two, but it became a much more sort of romantic mm. um, thing. But um, for me, it's very much just that that kind of interaction between your your dance partner and mm-hmm. i think one of the other things that i loved about it was there's this constant push and pull mm-hmm. you 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 draw as much as the man's leading the woman's actually in control and is always trying to pull away and you're you're sort of pulling back and then she comes close and then she pushes you away and this is kind of um cleopatra style sort of flirting and dynamic that's quite um quite interesting it's always um, it's been kind of quite balanced in terms of the gender uh, uh the gender uh, uh balances uh, uh the, the dynamics quite equal it always seems to me with when you're watching that latin american dancing yeah yeah i, 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 mean, I mean in some way it, it sounds as though you're saying that it is a it's definitely a kind of serious art form it's just it's more tactile you know more based on but I, I quite often say to my students if i take them to some quite difficult contemporary art see the space between you and the work as, as an area where you're almost dancing with the minds with the creative mind of that artist and they want to they want to communicate with you on that kind of level so it's a metaphor quite interesting that i often ah. use and students sometimes get yeah. i say they're not just putting the, what you think looks like a pile of rubbish in the corner think about it they're quite serious minded they wanted to communicate something across this space between you and the object and they want to enter a dialogue with you so you ask it questions within that space and see it as a kind of way of dancing with one another um, yeah that's, that's that's actually a really interesting idea i should think about this before more because i was thinking about one of the things i like about london and that's going to an exhibition space or, or standing standing the tate in front of in front of a Rothko isn't there is that interaction with yep. me in the space i like mm. being in the center of this big square with these artworks and, mm. and walking around uh, at, you know at however i feel and there's a bit of a kind of a dance like that so something yeah. will catch my eye or move towards it move yeah. away and it varies with your own biorhythms. One day something will attract you that the other day you just ignored. And uh, that maybe that's the same with people when you're dancing. <laughs> you can be yeah. quite surprised sometimes how, uh, how someone isn't maybe superficially attracting you. But the moment you start dancing, there's a diff- there's an amazing energy beneath that exterior, which is another thing that is similar to art maybe, that you've got to kind of give it a chance and sort of delve into it. Just just kind of moving on from that. So but it's something that's quite related. You said about Gaudi in Barcelona. So do you have a favourite building? It can be in London. It can be anywhere. Yeah, this is this. Um, yeah, I've got uh, I had a, I had a, an interesting answer for this uh, mm-hmm. because I, it, I just recalled one of my favourite museums it's actually because of the building itself. It's the uh, the, the Solomon Guggenheim in, in New York, the Solomon R. Guggenheim in New York. Uh, and before before I maybe talk about that, maybe I'll talk. I, I did a road trip in in the US before uh, when I finished uh, 
university. So this was 2001, summer of 2001. And fl- flew to New York. Um, and then just sort of very ad hoc. I just booked it and then just flew there. Uh, went to New Orleans and did a road trip from New Orleans to to Seattle. And in in Seattle was this is this amazing building that used to be called the Electronic Music Project. Mm-hmm. So it's it's by Frank Gehry. Mm-hmm. And you know, you think you know, back back in back in back in those times when I was, you know, much more much less knowledgeable about the arts. You know, you you see buildings and uh, and then you see the electronic music project, which is this kind of it looks like silk blowing in the wind. It's but but it's all it's all sort of shiny metal and undulating curves. Uh, pretty spectacular. And I went in and I I, uh, I forget what the actual exhibition was there. And then I went to I went back to New York um, and went to the Solomon Guggenheim Museum for an exhibition. Uh, of Frank Gehry, so he had to uh, because he he designed the electronic music project. And what was particularly interesting was it, it was an exhibition of the process of how he how he starts from ideas and design, ideas moves on to design, starts creating maquettes and models, and then it gets the final the final project, uh, and. I guess it's the very basic, uh, you know, curating one on one. You know, you start from the beginning and it's sort of chronological, and you walk around the building in a spiral all the way to the top, and it's sort of it's very, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's just a, a ramp all the way up to the top to this beautiful um, skylight, and that that kind of stuck in my mind. For a long time, and then I learned a little bit more about some of his work he's done. He, he created something in Bill Bauer, which which uh, completely revolutionised the economy of that small Spanish uh, village or town now or city. I guess it is now. So I've been to the Guggenheim in Bilbao, and an amazing building by Frank Gehry. It's it almost sort of it's almost superior to the art that's in it. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. it's quite remarkable. I agree. Um, but Frank Lloyd Wright, who did the Guggenheim in New York, the the I've been in that building as well. I haven't been to the uh, the the well, the one in Seattle. I, I I read about it and watched the video, but I think that's an example of you know linking to your musical interest as well. Uh, the move the movement of the, these things in this kind of electronic musical um, setting, perhaps. And you know, other architects see their architecture as very musical as well. Like I guess most famously, Renzo Piano in London. Uh, he's done a lot of work with um, with music and, and buildings. And again, I think it's just reminding us that we often have these kind of quite narrow, we tend to sort of put different types of art in boxes. And actually, a lot of artists, creative people, are often very, very involved in all those things, as they were indeed in the Renaissance or in classical Athens. You know, I'd love to come back to a world in which there's the arts are more mixed. And we'll come on to that later when we're talking about some of the, some of the artistic projects that you're the people for the prize have put in, I think, and where, where that's going to go, you know, going forward. I just, do you have any interest in countryside locations, you know, outside of urban, or do you, are you an urban person? And but it, yeah, I don't know whether you can think of somewhere outside of the city that particularly moves you for some reason. Um, I mean, for for me, it's it is cities. You know, yeah. I, I um, 
I I used to I used to snowboard, so I did like being on the mountains. Okay. I, yeah. I, I tried to look up what does what does what does rural mean? It's sort of <laughs> a large empty space. Uh, I, I guess uh, I nature, really but um, yeah, yeah, I guess I really meant yes, yeah, something that isn't built up in nature. Um, you know, and uh, uh, but it sounds as though you're pretty much a sort of urban creature. And, and, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I struggle. I struggle with beach holidays. Um, as much as I might need a holiday, I think yeah. um, at times in the sun. But it's yeah. I I I don't so much enjoy the the beach holiday. So, um, snowboarding and and uh, which I used to do. Yes, I I love that. Not being on the mountains, but uh, but then you're sort of active, and uh, it's more about the snowboarding than it is about the, the scenery, maybe. Yeah, mm. no, that's 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 fine. Um, and 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 and, it, and you spoke about like tango music, but if do you ever listen? Do you listen to music? And if so, you know, what are you enjoying at the moment, for example? Or do you have a a piece of music that has always meant a lot to you, you know, even since you were young. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I, I used to listen to a lot more when I was younger, my sort of teenage and early adult, and less so now. But uh, something that I always keep coming back to is, is Chopin. Um, really? Chopin and, and Liszt. Um, so, so, Chopin in particular. Yeah. Mm. Chopin. So, uh, when I was much younger, I, I saw, I tried to learn the piano. I didn't get too far but oh, yeah. i would i would look at the music the uh, um the music for pieces like number one and fantasy fantasy prompt two which are my two like two all-time favorite pieces of music um by chopin uh alongside hungarian rhapsody by by list um which i think i, I think i must have watched the tom and when I was young because uh, they sort of destroyed they have a concert um, and I thought it was quite quite spectacular uh, the way that these kind of pieces I mean when you play it it just sounds completely different to to sort of the pans you see on the with the notes um, and these pieces so many layers and complexity that I, I've never got bored of listen to those pieces of music um so yeah so that's that's the top of my list i'd also add more more contemporary i guess is the the strokes um <laughs> for some kind of similar similar yeah. reason there, there's something perfect about the the construction of the of of the of that music and it's just played when it's played it sounds like it's been not, not, I don't want to say robotic, but it's just everything's sort of perfectly played. Because um, it still has, you know, it has a huge amount of creativity and, and emotion in, in those pieces of music. Um, you know, the strokes aren't seen as being incredibly original if you used to like some of the, old, some of the older bands, which just slipped my mind. But uh, Led Zeppelin and, um, oh, who, there was someone else that they sound kind of similar to. But, um, or influ- I guess influenced by is probably a better way of putting it. But um, but they're much more sort of off the now, I'd say, and, and incredibly, incredibly talented, I think. Um, so, yeah, instantly when I was in, in the US, I missed the chance to go and see them play live before they got famous. Um, 
So that was another sort of, just by chance, I happened to be in, in, in Seattle or San Francisco, I forget. Um, and there was a concert on someone was distributing flyers printed out on a piece of paper. So it was a very kind of, <laughs> kind of a, you know, they were doing their own gigs in, in London places. Um, but yeah, um, I did get to see them eventually in Alexander Palace, um, maybe 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, you said that you, when you finished your university in 2001, you, you flew off to New York and, 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 and around the United States. So what, what did you finish doing? What was your degree in? Oh, so, so I, 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 I've got a master's in mathematics. So uh-huh. yeah, so it's a bit of a strange one. Yeah. So I, um, back at school, I was, I was, I was always very good at maths and, and sciences um, mm-hmm. and incidentally arts. So in art classes, mm. um, which I really enjoyed sort of particularly pencil drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd do lots of pencil drawings and I'd, I'd get a bit obsessed with just looking at things and, and drawing them from eyes or, or looking at a picture and, and trying to draw it without tracing, um, learning how to shade in different, in different ways. And then it came to a point where I had to choose my GCSEs and it was either, it was either maths, which I was very good at or art, which I was very good at. And, um, and I definitely wanted to do the sciences as well. Um, so I had to make a choice between the two. And so I ended up taking maps for, for various reasons. And, and then the teacher said, okay, you know, when it comes to A-levels, you can do art then. You know, you can skip the GCSE. But, yeah. uh, of course, the same issue. I, it was either maps or art because yeah. uh, they collided. Um, and so I did maps again. And then I had, a, I had a similar experience. So my form tutor, when I was coming on to A-levels, uh, I wanted to do classics in English, <laughs> you know, Greek and Latin and English literature. And uh, he persuaded me to give up the Greek, which I'd done to O-level, and to do statistics, which was actually a pioneering. It was the first time they taught at A-level when I did it, which probably yeah. didn't. And um, uh, so so that really changed my life in many ways, because I think I'd have probably ended up doing like classics at Oxbridge or something like that, whereas because I only had a Latin degree, and I didn't really get on with the statistics at the time, though now I use it a lot in my, my own mm. work business um you know it, it it meant that i could only go to a university that, that taught latin and of course you couldn't do it so so i went to birmingham university to do latin but like you he said oh you can do you can do art o level you know because i said oh, i want to do something artistic he said well do do art do art o level during a level so that was a kind of similar story but what i was going to ask you is it sounds from what you've been saying so far that you that you've got quite a link between mathematics and art do you want to say a little bit more about whether you think those two things are related and whether it whether it affects the kind of art and music you like. Yeah, um, maybe I'll, I'll just maybe brainstorm some some ideas. I mean, one of the things one of the things about maths is yeah, finding patterns and and links, and then looking through the patterns and finding sort of ways to find st- structure within things. And I'd see that with music. I I I'd feel that there's you know you could you can take a piece of music and it, you can separate it into stages. You can, you can, you've got the, you've got the different keys and you've got the, the chords and this specific sequences might reference, or you could think of them as referencing emotions or even, you know, even, even scenes or, uh, or little stories or narratives. And I think that's, 
similar with maybe how I look at art. I, I look at the layers. I look at. I like to think of the stages. Um, you know, is there a timeline? Uh, for me, a story is just a, a set of emotions put into a timeline, and then it's up to then it's then it's up to us maybe to put in the details of whatever we relate to, and that's that. I see that in music, and I, I see that in in you know sort of abstract art, and some you know one of the artists I worked with, he would he would he was specifically trying to emphasize that there are layers, and he, he would paint. He would paint on the he would paint on the uh, on the raw canvas and then paint layers and then peel off and try and emphasize uh, the process to give you a narrative. Uh, so maybe that's and another key thing is that yeah I think my brain works by categorizing as much as possible and that's maybe from my from my maps and analytical nature. Um, so that that for me is sort of the link. I, I sort of see between between those. I think for definitely for music, I there's there's definitely patterns and mathematical structures in there, mm-hmm. uh, and it's something I've always wanted to learn. To you know, I'd love to be able to compose a, a complex piece of music like like Chopin did. And I always wonder how he was able to create that, create that intense imagery and and emotions and and put it into a narrative where you can then construct a story, like whether it's not just, this is about heartbreak, but this is, he sees someone, he likes them. He, he chases after them. He gets rejected. He's angry. He's, she shells interest. He perks up. And this is quite a complex storyline that I see, uh, partly helped by reading. I read his biography and that kind of put things into perspective as well, or give me ideas of how, how he might've, imagined the pieces doesn't give me any clues how he actually did it <laughs> how did he find these sequence of um notes and um and chords that, and rhythms that um emphasized all of this stuff um but yeah so patterns i think that's probably a key thing that mm. for me connects it all yeah and no, i mean um in again referring to classical athens as a place where you know all the arts, all the artists and architects and philosophers and mathematicians, geometricians and so on. They all used to meet together and speak about ideas together and relate them. And uh, uh, you know, Plato in in his philosophical works, when he's talking about arts, there uh, there's he talks about music in a mathematical manner. You probably you might have read some of those texts, but so the intervals between notes are. Uh, he very t- very much talks about being similar to kind of the ratios he's learning about in the new geometry that is being created oh. now at the time. And then the artists of the day are also beginning to experiment with like mathematical geometrical proportions uh, in the in the um, in their human figures. And uh, that, so all of those things I think have always been there and come together. And we think of Leonardo as being quite a mathematically scientifically minded artist as well. I I think. Mm. I think um, there are then and today, and you know, we can talk about this when we talk about some of the emerging artists going in for the prize. That they're all different types of people, and some of them would say, "Oh, I'm useless at maths; I have no interest in that." And others of them would say, "My my practice is coming out of my interest in science or whatever." You read this all the time, and it I think it's a wonderful uh, way that science and the arts can can connect. Um, I first met you, uh, Conrad, just uh, when. When I first met you, you said that you 
but just stop being an oil trader. So that might surprise our listeners after what you said so far that you you haven't done your degree in maths and, and, and a little bit of art. You um you went to America and then then what happened? How did you get into trading in oil? Yeah, so um that that trip to the US was just um I secured a job um in in, in equity derivatives, so something slightly different, uh, trading and sort of joining the graduate program. And so I I had these months where I could I could do anything, and I thought let's do something a bit uh, a little bit nuts, a little bit crazy for me because I've never been on holiday on my own. I uh, I've never actually liked the idea of going on holiday on my own, but I thought I should just do it. And uh, yeah, I, I came back, started this job, and for two years trading, uh, and then I I changed I changed job because that that didn't quite work out for me, and got this job as an oil trader or oil derivatives trader. Uh, I guess in, in summary, trading the markets, but also hedging for airlines and, and oil producers and helping them manage their, their oil risk exposure. Uh, but I did that. And then I did that for uh, seven, eight years. Uh, so when I first met you, I, I so I'd, I, I I worked too hard. I worked way too much, mm-hmm. and but I got I I, I achieved a lot, um, and I was quite surprised because there's one job I wanted at the company that for me was the dream job, and and I felt I was working towards that in some way, and but I thought I wouldn't I'd I'd have to I'd get there when I'm about forty. I needed to have been working for like you know fifteen twenty years or so. Uh, but I managed to achieve a lot, and they actually approached me and said they wanted to hire me. And I, I was like, "This is this is like ten years too early. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't I shouldn't take this job, but I'm I'm going to anyway. I can't, you know. I'm I'm I was always overly ambitious back then. And I so I so I accepted, and I had three months gardening leave, and I thought, okay, well, I need to do more than just trading and 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 partying. I need to there's there's other things I'm interested in, and I haven't had time. So I've got three months off gardening leave. Uh, I think I want to become an art collector. Let's let's try and figure out why paintings sell for millions and millions. Uh, why you know why why this is worth that and why is this worth that? Uh, and see and learn about what I'd like and what I what I want to collect. Uh, and then there was your course, Art and Its Markets, at, at Sotheby's Institute of Art. Uh, it was like a summer course, full time for a month. So I, I just was right in the middle of my gardening leave, so it was perfect. So I joined that, um, and then that course sort of opened my eyes to the whole world of art and the business of art and the art market. And it wasn't just some paintings are expensive and some some are cheap. It, there's a whole ecosystem and a huge, a pretty huge one that's very interesting, very diverse. Um, out there and but then i also learned that i it would be more interesting working with artists than collecting mm. my piece of art put in my wall mm. and it became to have less meaning for me um and so i came up with this I, I i decided to work with artists in some way um so at the end of the garden leave i went to start this new job um 
And of course, it was two years of working crazy hours, never had time for anything. Um, and so I came to the, I came to a point where I thought, I, I need to do something else. I need to do something <clears throat> that's completely different. Mm-hmm. I need to learn new skills. Let's start up a business and let's pursue working with artists and let's see what happens. And so I, I started, I, I did a little bit of research. I didn't do very much. Normally, I like the idea of planning a lot, but in this case, I thought, let's just do rather than plan and mm-hmm. see how it goes. And so my first step was to find art, really interesting artists and see if I could connect them with buyers, connect them with collectors, encourage collectors to visit them and, and get that interaction going because that I'm sure would be more interesting for the artists, more useful for them than, than, than they're just getting some artwork sold because it can build, it can build a longer relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got, a, I got an iPad and put some art on it and organized a bunch of meetings. Uh, and there was a lot of interest. There was a lot of interest because I was talking to people with with more my background, and I could explain to them the pricing of art and why it has value, mm-hmm. um, and not just financial value, but as aesthetic and uh, and all the other different values it has. And, and Conrad, uh, were, were these potential collectors contacts of yours from the trading uh, work? So you were kind yeah, of it started off mostly with my contacts from from yeah. the trading world. Yeah. The um, mostly from the uh, sorry, David, you cut out there. Yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, is that better? Um, so most most it was mostly contacts from the trading world that I, I've, I've built up and, and friends from kind of friends from university. I mean, a lot of, a lot of sort of industry, con- yeah. financial industry contacts and they were very much, why is it so expensive? Why is it? And, uh, you know, why is, why should I, um, yeah, what's, why should I go for emerging artists or established and which galleries should I visit and, and potentially source artworks from? And why should I collect? So that real kind of, I, I'd probably I'd probably call it early emerging collectors, people who had the romantic idea of wanting to be a collector but had had no idea how to get there, um, and you know they, they didn't have that background, which I guess you know, many 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 collectors don't have the art history background. Um, that, that's really interesting because it sounds to me as though that's quite you're a disruptor in that sense that this is quite a niche that a lot of people won't have thought about. So most other than that, it sounds as though you're acting as a kind of typical art advisor stroke dealer, putting up, putting artists that you're representing in touch with well-known established collectors, people with money and so on. Um, but it sounds as though you're mat- deliberately matching emerging artists with emerging collectors. So could you say now how that, how that, um, works up works you into thinking about an art prize for those emerging artists yeah i mean the 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 big connection for me was what's going to help emerging artists more is it just selling a few works Mm. or giving them a a platform they can then build up their own um audience and relationships um and it, so this is something I've thought. I've, this is the way I wanted to think. Because between sort of doing some art dealing, which wasn't very successful, it was very difficult to actually connect 
these people with the artists mm. on, a, on a sort of ad hoc basis. I went through the path of, of, of setting up a gallery and organizing ex- exhibition. Private views were the key tool that actually yeah. got people to come and buy art yes. because it created an event, a, a kind of a deadline. If you don't turn up at this event, you may not get the artwork you want, it's sort of yeah. a dynamic. Um, and then seeing other people wanting to buy, it, it's, all, it's all added and made that relatively successful. Uh, but the, the art prize, interestingly, sort of extended this idea because I wanted, I didn't want to just help a small handful of artists, particularly when you're working with early emerging artists. Many, many don't last. They're not able to survive or they haven't proven their commitment or, or they're sort of pulled in a different direction. And when you come in and look at artists at the next level, they tend to have survived that process and they're, they're now much more, uh, I'd say, I don't want to use the word established because it has a different meaning, but they're much more committed um, and able to be committed. And they found that kind of a place where they can survive a bit, but they still need help. They still need, you know, to get to, the, to carry on surviving, they need some more help with that. So uh, connecting these sort of early emerging artists you know, a year later, I think I had I had eight artists. Um, after a year, two had 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 to move on. Uh, one had a baby. One moved to to another country with a with a and was because he was offered a fantastic job. And it was sort of going that way that it was proving quite difficult. And I thought, Do you know, what? I can set up a platform that helps a lot of artists, and then I don't have the responsibility of of them not. Decide, you know, them deciding not to be artists anymore, mm. uh, and I can just I can survey all the emerging artists out there mm. and get a feel for what one what I'd like in particular, and two what my clients would like, and also just new trends and things that are changing and happening. And it was a great way for me to learn a lot and as much as possible about you know the diverse. Uh, subject of contemporary art so what happened with the art prize was uh partly i'd 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 been i'd found my way into corporate corporate art advisory particularly uh art rental and and art dealing for corporates and one corporate had seen an article uh i was interviewed by the times uh for my expertise in in art investment uh in in emerging artists and they contacted me and said, "Look, we uh, we don't have any we don't have we we don't have uh, any budget for art, but we have a space which we could offer to artists. Mm. Can you find us artists?" And I said, "Okay, I can I can do that. What's your budget for this?" And they said, "We don't have a budget mm. for that even." So, um, and they'd had trouble connecting with emerging artists. They they weren't able to they they didn't have any resources to promote to them. Uh, nor choose the right ones. So I said, okay, well, I'll create an art prize and they sponsor it. And that's how it started. Uh, and so suddenly they had some budget for it, which was fantastic. Um, so as many events and the space and promotion. And so I then thought there's so many art prizes out there. How do we make ours actually useful for artists? Mm. Uh, 
And so I thought I could leverage all the resources of the sponsor and create a platform that educates as many artists as possible, promotes everyone that enters, and generally offer them as much as I could uh, for the artists to make it worthwhile them entering. Because normally, an artist enters, enters an art prize, it's a bit of a black box. Uh, either they win or they don't, and that's it. That's, um, that's the price of their entry fee. And if they win, it's fantastic, but there's no feedback on you know why why they didn't win and how could they improve and what could they be doing better and it can be really disheartening when you enter 10 20 art prizes and nothing happens um and consistently some artists will enter year on year out and never get anywhere and mm. and it's not a useful process for them so, so what, what makes your prize difference what's the what makes an added what do you give it that's added value to your entries yeah, so every every entrant, so if you entered in the first part of the open call and we would we'd give you detailed written feedback. <laughs> so this would be like over a, a you know over over a page of information that expl- that helps you improve your entry mm. for next time <laughs> and for anything else you might enter. So we'll talk about the images you submitted. Yes. It's, it's interesting how some artists, they don't they haven't put enough care into the images they've entered, or they haven't realised that if they just put some more lighting, it'll be it'll look a lot better. If mm. they put it on a tripod, then it will capture a lot more detail. Or if they lit it from an angle, it will highlight the impasto or the, or the texture. And so we give lots of little tips like this. We talk about their artist statements. Mm. Uh, in the early days, very few people actually submitted an artist statement. Mm. Uh, and when you're a judge looking at as as you are looking through thousands and thousands of entries, um, you know this this year we had over two thousand artists enter with mm-hmm. almost five thousand artworks. And when you're getting th- when you're going through all this stuff, if things catch your eye, we don't have time really to you know to to look and uh, you know and and connect with it. We need we need a bit of guidance that'll speed us up and so an artist statement an artwork commentary is incredibly useful and it's, and it should be well written it doesn't have to be uh you know uh, a detailed essay it can mm-hmm. be bullet points it can be anything that just gives us a few clues to, to mm-hmm. see it because we're just looking at a, a you know the, an image on a on a screen so that feedback has been very very useful for many artists and we've had artists enter just because they wanted the feedback <laughs> it wasn't even to win the prize. It was to. It's a little bit like a careers advisor at a university helping you with your CV style, and you're, yeah. you're saying is that that doesn't you know they don't seem to teach that at art college perhaps. Yeah, so we we in sort of creating this prize, we did look at what arts artists of all types, but mm. also including our students, what they were asking for, and it was a common thing that. They didn't have enough help with. They'd have some decent help with. Uh, I think some some of the universities are very good at helping with the artist statement, mm-hmm. uh, but then there was there didn't seem to be very much help at all with applying for opportunities at all, and it almost felt like it was a little bit discouraged. You don't need to enter a prize. It's not. It's not. It's not the kind. It's for commercial artists. You know, like, there was this kind of mentality yeah. with with many of them, and. In the early days, we didn't have many art schools enter. Now, um, I'd say more than half were 
are either art students or graduates um, on top of all the others that, that enter. Yes. Um, so that was that was one thing. And then the talks, we get free talks for, for the entrance. And these would be on topics like whether it's pricing of art or how to sell your art or how to market, how to promote yourself. Yes. Uh, and we were, you know, we, in my mind, the prize, you know, we're trying to keep that balance of remaining authentic uh, with some kind of commerciality, I guess, but not being, not painting for people to not to buy, but painting and uh, connecting with people is probably our sort of more aligned with our ethos. Connect with people, educate them about your work, um, and build up that relationship, and they'll eventually grow to love and then buy. So that's kind of like our thinking and how we chose topics for the talks that we would give. Um, we would we would post, and right now we have something, I think we have close to 40,000 followers on Instagram. So we would post every single entrant, connect to their Instagram profiles. And we have many, many artists who, again, would enter just because of that, because we would draw attention to their work. People would discover. We, we, we had people email us saying uh, they sold some work because someone saw an image on our Instagram profile and bought it. And it then encouraged them to, to develop more and, and work on that and develop that relationship. So, so, so would you say that your artists don't necessarily require uh, a gallery, a curator, to take them into their stables so that they can actually become successful just using social media and their own practice. Yeah, I think we we noticed this early on that there seemed to be a sort of decline in the, the gallery models getting more and more difficult over the years, rents going up, uh, and it's just just much much many much fewer artists, much fewer galleries uh, surviving or finding artists. And particularly at the level we're looking at early emerging, most of the galleries want to know that the artists are sustainable, uh, mm-hmm. as, can sustain themselves, I should say, uh, and commercially viable mm-hmm. as well. That they they are selling and they're at a certain price point. Mm-hmm. But to get to that level, you know, they're kind of mostly ignored. Yes. Uh, and then the next level of galleries would feed off the ones below it. But um, uh, so we noticed that. Actually, and there was there was quite a lot of artists that were able to represent themselves, and we thought that that's that's something that should be nurtured. You've got all the tools. You know, social media is free to use. Yeah. Uh, you could, you know, there there are opportunities that can allow an artist to to self represent. They can manage their own audience. They can connect with them much better than in the past, uh, and so it's never been easier. Um, and I think now, you know, th- things like NFTs and 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 online uh, these online art shops uh, make it even easier to to present the work for sale as well. Conrad, I'm aware that we've come to the end of this session, but I think we've got another session in this. So let's make another. I'm coming to the show on Thursday, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, but I'd really like to what we're talking about now, I think is really will be of real interest to our listeners. So um, 
perhaps we could find another time to continue this story and, and, and go immediately into into more detail about the kind of media that these artists are now using. But I'd also like to talk more about the effects of the pandemic on on the artists that you are assisting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so should we leave that? I'll see you on Thursday at the preview. Yes, yeah. We'll make another time for the second half of this, as it were. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So thank you very much for, for yeah, thank you. today. And then yeah, I'll thank you. another time for, 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 for part. <laughs> Okay, yeah, definitely. Okay, see you Thursday. Okay, brilliant. See you soon. Okay, bye.